name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today, my guest on the show is David Cohen, the senior producer at the Variety Content Studio. David and I initially met when he reached out to me saying, hey, I'm doing this big study about content as a category, and a bunch of content marketers have told me that you're the solution for content measurement. Can we talk about that? It seems like a really hairy and complicated topic. Now, I obviously loved the prompt, and we ended up having a two-hour-long conversation about content measurement, which then prompted me to realize I needed to have him as a guest on the show. David is one of our first guests who isn't in-house at a brand. As a content studio producer, David gets to have a hand in creating amazing, ambitious stories for a number of different brand partners. He leads a team of journalists, designers, directors, writers, and everything in between functioning as their own creative agency, production company, and distribution company. David covers his wide range of experience in our conversation. He's been a journalist, author, director. He even wrote for Star Trek at one point. And it's really great to hear from the perspective of someone creating a lot of content across a wide range of different brands, telling different stories in different media while working with loads of different people and their egos. Here's my conversation with David Cohen. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great. How are you? You've had an intense day, so I'm very grateful that you're here. Thank you. My head is still somewhere in digital file transfers (laughs) and movie star interviews. But you've been creating content today, so... I have. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. It is good to be in demand. Yeah, there you go. In this world that we live in. So um, you are a journalist, an editor, a photographer. Uh, you've covered entertainment, art, science, global business for publications around the world. And we actually met because you're putting a report together on the state of content marketing. Is that true? That is correct. I was doing a white paper for Variety on uh, a sort of a snapshot of branded entertainment and branded content in general. And uh, of course, I immediately looked for the sort of, you would look for the comprehensive book on that to have as a reference and discovered there wasn't one. Right. So. By the way, do you, do you know why or do you have any assumptions as to why there's no book on content marketing and how to do it? <laughs> there's only uh, this one podcast that this lady started called Pros and Content. <laughs> <laughs> well, do I know why that might be? No, not really. Although I could engage in irresponsible speculation. Yeah, let's um, go. That's well, what it, this all, is all about. Well, while the concept of, of sort of content marketing isn't new, I think uh, the sort of definition of it as a separate thing that deserves attention is kind of new. And then I think on the one hand, you know, uh, I remember years ago uh, reading the book Chaos, James, uh, I think it was James Gleick, Um And one thing he talked about in that book is that the whole field of chaos theory was an orphan in academia because the physicists didn't recognize it as physics and the mathematicians didn't recognize it as math. It's like all the, it was interdisciplinary and there was no discipline that would adopt it. So you couldn't Mm. get funding. You couldn't get grants to pursue the thing. And content marketing is a little bit like that. It, there's all kinds of people who do content. There's all kinds of people who do storytelling. Most of them are not the least been interested in the marketing side of it and the the brand and the branded side and the, and the business side. 
And then there's tons of people who do marketing and business and finance and accounting and all the things in business. And they made the very same choice to not go into storytelling and entertainment. And so they want <laughs> nothing to do with that. So neither side really wants to own it. It's sort of the bastard child of business and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, everybody would like to avert their eyes, I think. Uh, however, I did just see that there was another uh report that came out. So it's a, there are people, Variety's done it, and I think other people are doing it, and are looking at this and seeing there's a hunger for information right. and for knowledge, and there's lots of people who have it and are willing to share it, so we can take that role of trying to put, put people together, put well, you know, knowledge together with, with people who need it. We, uh, we started this because we felt the same, that there wasn't a ton of information, nor even was there a community of these hybrid folk who do the content and the marketing, even though there's more and more content leaders inside of marketing orgs, there's heads of content, there's SVPs of content, there's even chief content officers, but there's no community that really brings people together. There's no conferences that celebrate these, uh, these leaders. And I actually think there's even more reason to celebrate them because it is such an undefined territory. They have to, they almost have to fight more for their life and their turf. Well, I will say, having just been there, that the Brand Storytelling Conference in Park City and, and Elevate in, in Park City are both pretty pretty good. I've been to both of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, artists famously will talk art. Yep. You know, often pretentiously and are made fun of for it mercilessly um, with good reason. But that and business people will certainly talk business. I, I don't think that same sense of cohesion exists yet the the community that at that i was just at it with elevate is is rather tight-knit and and everybody knows each other but part of what that indicates is there aren't that many people getting together to talk about this stuff that, that you could be these would be people from all over the country and they all know each other and there's thousands of people involved in this to some degree or another i'll also say that you're 100 percent right that there are a lot of people who have t content in their title but i i do have the sense that based on, on my conversations with people, that a lot of what they're calling content is really just, they've just renamed advertising. They now call all their advertising content. Mm. And, you know, it, it's some very broad definition of content. I guess everything is content. But <laughs> uh, when, when I'm talking about branded content and branded entertainment, you're really talking about brands creating something that audiences seek out to consume because they want to enjoy it. They expect to be entertained by it at some level. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make them happy or laugh. That might make arouse whatever emotion in the same way that not all entertainment makes you happy and laugh. Right. But that that's a very different thing from creating a, a message that interrupts the thing they sought out, right? Right. The, the, the print ad that's in the middle of an article in a magazine, the commercial that interrupts um, it interrupts a TV show or even the trailers and the ads that run before a movie. You can't get your content until you've seen these advertisements. My favorite is when I'm actually genuinely trying to watch a trailer and I get a trailer ad before a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your, your like... definition is basically that branded content is non-interruptive, non-intrusive content that audiences are either seeking out or would seek out if it weren't kind of distributed towards them or targeted at them. 
Yes, with the caveat that that is the intention of the content. Right. Okay. And with any entertainment, not all of it works. Right. And not all of it finds an audience. First of all, not all of it is successful. It's simply attracting an audience. And you can't always predict what will be and what won't. Um, there are things that are very good entertainment that fail at the box office or don't get ratings. And the same can be true of branded content. Your thing can be objectively good and people will end up not choosing to seek it out for whatever reason, which is the reason that it's a, it's a riskier road. It's the reason that people have not, did not rush down this road when they had the alternative of, of get, reaching a mass audience by doing interruptive advertising. But the interruptive model is, be, is falling apart because audiences won't put up with it anymore and mm -hmm. they have alternatives and they don't have to put up with it. Right. So you can't, you can't force it on the theaters are one of the few places where you still can. If you showed up to pay your ticket for the movie, you're there. You're not going to walk out. Right. You're not going to go out to the lobby and get a popcorn and time that trailer and come back in two minutes and 30 seconds. So that's one of the few places where you can still really do it. And people do not like it. They do not like it at all. But they're, but they got to shrug your shoulders and put up with it. At home, on your phone, on your TV, you don't have to put up with it at all. So are you a believer in branded content then? Am I a believer in branded content? I know content? it's a very simple, unqualified that... question, but what... I thought I'd yes, pose it, it that way. Yes, it exists. <laughs> well, where are you as a consumer on the branded content favorability scale? And then where are you as a content creator? Um... Well, first of all, let me say, as a content creator, I, I am convinced that it is necessary. Mm -hmm. I, I am convinced that it is the logical alternative right. to interruptive and that it's... For all products, by the way, or do you think it's more of a category thing? All products includes an awful lot of things. <laughs> you know, um... Well, I you were making a general statement, so I thought I would ask. Well, it's fair. Um, all products. I mean, there are legal products and illegal products and services. And well, there's all I, kinds do, I of obviously don't mean illegal products because well, I mean, illegal products don't advertise, but, do they? Oh, sure they do. Really? <laughs> the back page of the Villa's Voice is, used to be full of advertisements, well, thinly veiled advertisements for illegal products and services. <laughs> so, but, um, that's a and world that's I've the, not been uh, a part of yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been in New York long so, enough. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, is it, I would say generally. I would say that's generally true. Um, I think it works better for some things than others, but I also say that that some companies have been more creative about it than others. Mm. Um, and that if you're really being creative about it, you can make almost anything work in branded content. Um, sleep number mattresses, you know, the sleep number bed. They are doing a content series that is produced by Courageous Studios, CNN's uh, content studio, mm -hmm. where they're looking at first responders and other people who are in sort of high impact jobs where the amount and quality of their sleep is really crucial to them being able to do they, the work that they do. OK, now that's an ingenious method at getting at the importance of someone's sleep. It's a really good content strategy, right? And you would not think of a mattress manufacturer, a bed manufacturer, as, some, as a likely product to produce compelling branded content. And yet they have found an angle to do it. Uh, and so I think that that is one of the things that companies are discovering is that if you are thinking creatively, if you're really looking about your, at your product in terms of what we call in storytelling a bottom, 
in terms of high stakes. Why is my product important in people's lives? Then you can find a, 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 a story adjacent to your product that is compelling that people want to watch for the same reason they wanted to watch ER or Chicago Fire or anything else. Okay, that's a pretty good answer. Thank you. Um, I know that we mentioned a little bit about kind of the work you did researching this field. So as a collector of information on this, as someone who didn't write the book on it, but wrote a pretty solid report on it. Should I write the book on it? I, I mean, I think so. I, I know a couple of other people who are writing books on it. Oh, so somebody you're got starting beat to get competition. To yeah. yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I think the the more the better because we're still trying to define this space in many ways. I mean, some one of the big reasons why we're still asking ourselves these questions, how do we define it? What does it mean? How do you feel about it? Is because we just don't have a very good nomenclature around it. True. So kind of going along those lines, you obviously created this report, which is one of the first that that have really come out. Um, what did you learn? And and I would say maybe let's start with um, something surprising that you learned that you didn't think would be there? Well, what was funny was that I'd been working in the field for a couple of years with no particular training in it specifically, mm -hmm. right? I, I came from Variety Editorial to the Variety Content Studio when it was launched, and that was in uh, late summer of 2016. And then what, what convinced you to go to make that move, by the way? All right, so I'd been, I'd been producing a video series for Variety uh, called Artisans, which I was very proud of, which was looking at below the line. And I had produced 100 episodes over two years. They were short episodes, but still we're doing it almost every week. I was writing them, producing them, directing in post, and hosted most of them. And I went to the powers that be at Variety, and, and I said I wanted to do more video. And look, we were starting up this unit, and it looked like it was going to be a video unit. So uh, that was, this is my chance. I, and in fact, you know, I finally got a chance to really direct some stuff, to be the director and not just direct and post. And, and it was on a higher level. Um, so, but I've been doing that. So I've been doing that. And what I, I will just say briefly, what happened was that the video business, while it's suddenly surging for us now because we finally got some real traction, we got, our, got it out to our endemic advertisers that we have this capability. For a period there, we had a big lull of video. But at the same time, our print advertorial business began to snowball. And I'm the only one in the content studio with a print background. So I was back doing print, but I was back doing print at a, at a higher level of resources and creativity. And I'm really Got enjoying it. that. Uh, but it wasn't what I said went there to do. So I made that decision. I wanted to do more video. I went into the content studio. Um, and we had a lot of pain points, you know, um, there were things that were making us tear our hair out, <laughs> like the RFP that comes in for a multi-million dollar opportunity, and you have 36 hours to turn around three concepts. Yeah, well, I in think the that's, middle of that's production the life of else. agency, right? That's If you ask any agency person, I'm, I'm shocked at how many all-nighters they pull. I think it's probably more than bankers. You know, though, this is one of the, th well, so you're saying, well, what surprised me, what surprised me when I started doing the white paper was, this is a pain point for everybody. Yeah. You know, that this, as one person I interviewed said, the whole space is a mess or the <laughs> RFP process is completely broken. So when you talk about the all-nighters at agencies, it's like, I hate to be, it's just like a diva, but you can't be creative on that kind of schedule. Mm. Um, you can't, you know, no one say it's like, all right, you're going to spend 
$2 million making a movie, but you have 36 hours to come up with what that movie is. Everybody would think you were insane. Have you ever asked anyone why that happens? Why, why you are only given 36 hours? Is that we, we've thing tried that to marketers find that think out. is a good? We, we tried practice? to find that out. We haven't got a great answer. I think okay. sometimes, well, we know on one occasion we had that happen when we saw the RFP come through. The date was two days before we got it. So clearly what happened is they'd gone out to a bunch of places and I they see. weren't happy with what they got in. And now right. they were like, we need to get a bunch of stuff in in a big hurry. But yeah. that, I don't even think that's common. You know, I, I think part of what you what we I would observe is that the agencies are built for a different task than seeking content. Right. All right. And so this is something that um, Steve Ellis at Viacom mentioned to me, and I thought he was a really smart observation. We're all dealing with these business structures that are legacy business structures. They were built for a different purpose in a different world, and they're having to adapt to this new world of content marketing. And they are not always adapting fluidly or smoothly, and they weren't built for it. So you're, it's square peg, round hole, or it might be trying to like tighten a screw with a pliers. I mean, you can sort of do it, but it's bad for the screw and you probably won't get a very nice <laughs> result. You know, So I think there's some of that, that, you, that this whole process isn't, isn't the best way to get a good result for, for anybody, okay? Plus, I think that I've looked at some of these RFPs and the, and the cover page will say, we're looking out for outside the box ideas for content, right? And then you open up the RFP and, and almost the entire remaining part of the RFP is the specs for the media buy. So clearly what the agency is used to doing and knows how to do is buy media, right? You know, they're, but with this I whole mean, content thing, it's like, oh, and can you pitch us some ideas? Because we'll know a good one when we hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's so funny. Everything you said, I could take every word and apply it to the measurement conversations that we have with brands. And measurement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So it's you, literally the same thing. The frameworks are built for display. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone's saying they want something else, but they constantly revert back to views and clicks. We'll be right back to prosing content after this brief message. The Pros and Content Podcast is brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform for brands. For a demo, and to learn how to best plan, measure, optimize, and benchmark your content marketing strategy, visit us at notch.com. K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. Notch. It's all you'll ever need. And so oh, it's, well, this is another thing you asked about what I, what I learned. Yeah, tell me. That the, 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 I've found the, first of all, coming from editorial where we were, especially my generation, you, you did not learn about the measurement side. You didn't learn right. any about that. So I've had to learn about it. And I had to learn a lot about it on this paper. And I always felt like there's a, there's a problem with these digital metrics and that some, that problem exists. Well, first of all, with TV ratings, for example, there's a lot of problems with TV ratings, but they're an accepted measurement. Right. Uh, there's more problems now that people watch in different ways, but there have always been problems with it because it didn't measure people watching TV shows in bars, which is a big thing for totally. sports. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there are always things that it didn't measure. There are always things that you missed. But with, with things like clicks, my reaction to it always was that 
if you're talking about entertaining, entertainment content, that engagement isn't, engagement has to do with how much they enjoyed it. Not and how do you measure enjoyment? You are it, preaching to the choir. I, you and I are on the same page here. We can have this conversation. So yeah. you know the. But the the thing is that well, you measure enjoyment by the way by one capturing engagement and two then qualifying that engagement to see if it was engagement because that person was pissed or engagement because that person loved it. I mean, well, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It just happens to be different from a display ad because display ads do not get enjoyed. No, they just need to be seen. Right. And, and potentially clicked on, except no one clicks on them. But that's okay. Because at least they at least it's easy to transact based on display because we all understand how to transact based on display. Well the, I'm being ironic or cynical. I don't know what the right <laughs> word is. <laughs> aren't we all? The 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 thing with this is that I understand from the business standpoint, because look, I've got clients, right? We've got clients at the content studio. Right. And we have to make them happy. Totally. And they have, and they in turn have to report back to their boards of directors or whoever right. it is that they report, their CMO, whoever they're reporting to. And they have to show ROI, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, you have to show that this thing was effective. Mm-hmm. Well, if you are, you have to have some way of demonstrating that. And there are no accepted measures that are the equivalent of TV ratings. Right. Right. So there's no equivalent of that where, even with all of its flaws, we all know what that means. We all know that a good rating means this and a bad rating means that. And you can qualify it with the demos and everything else. And something can be great in the demo and lousy everywhere else. And it's still good. But you, but the measures are accepted. That does, simply does not exist for branded content online, right? Mm-hmm. So nonetheless, people have to be able to come back with some kind of a report that says, this is what we did. This is what happened. This is why it meets our objectives. And this is why it worked. And so I sympathize with people who are in that position, you know. But the- my question to you, because you're, you're assuming that if, if we only had some agreed upon metrics, then wouldn't that be great? But I happen to disagree. I think everyone should base their ROI analysis on their bottom line. And if you can't do that because you're talking about offline sales um, or a more complicated sales model, then find proxies and try to make those proxies as close to your business model as you can. Cause at the end of the day, what's a TV rating going to tell you if you're if you're a business that's trying to get, you know, real revenue out of this, even if you had a rating that was called not score, which trust me, I'd love for that to be the case. I, w- I would think it would still mean nothing because ultimately your board cares about whether or not marketing has moved the needle for revenue. Well, first of all, uh, let me agree with you and, and beg forgiveness because I did not mean to imply that the equivalent of a TV rating would be a one-size-fits-all solution. Well, that's a bummer, because I was hoping we could disagree a bit. <laughs> nope, I'm sorry I'm with you on this one. Oh, okay. Uh, the, you know, the, um, the, uh, it isn't a matter of needing a one-size-fits-all solution. I would argue that, in fact, the solutions that the industry really needs are non-numerical. Mm, okay? Interesting. What does in, that mean? In, in the sense that, you might track comments, you might do surveys and get mm. ga- and gather what people say to you. Mm. But the, the more you are trying to boil it down to data that you can put on a spreadsheet, the farther you are getting from the emotions that you are trying to evoke in your target audience, right? Emotions are hard to quantify. Um, <laughs> short of doing something, and we talked about doing this, by the way, for a project at VCS, we talked about 
you know, actually doing biometrics. And there are, you know, you can do biometrics on people. One of my friends runs a super awesome company called NeuroInside that does exactly that. It studies the emotional reaction or rather the brain patterns um, as they react to content. Yes, and 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 even that require that is a a, a laborious heavy process. Lift. Heavy lift, yeah. heavy lift, yeah. And you can't do it on a mass scale. And you can do it in real time once the no. content is up. But by but the way, the, I'm I'm just curious, David. Are you you haven't seen our product, have you? I've. Seen, it's okay if you haven't, but I'm just curious. Well, which product are you talking about? The, our our measurement product. Uh because I'm just asking because- in- I did look at it when I was doing the research for the paper, but I will confess, and you can cut this out of the podcast no, if you want fine. to. No, it's fine. I don't want to. Um, no, I was, that what happened when I was writing the white paper was that I got to the measurement section. And basically what I had was I had a lot of people saying measurements is a mess and ha- we're having the same conversation that we've just been having. Right. I had a lot of people saying- there are a couple of companies who are doing really work. interesting yeah. work, yep. and Notch came up more than once. And so I, be, you know, I sort of did a little self-editing here in the sense that I, I finished that chapter, which was the last chapter of the white paper, and I looked at it and said, "Well, I've got holes here that I have to fill. I better talk to someone at Notch and find out what yeah, they're yeah, doing." Yeah. And I had to do that. I was already past deadline, so I and and we had a a, a hard deadline for this, so. I had to do it really fast, so I yeah. did not get to do the depth of research. Oh, that's of, fine. Like, but the reason I'm asking, by the way, is because you were just talking about how the measurement of content shouldn't just be quantitative. It should also be based on what people say. You Anecdotal, a, yeah. You should have a, a method of surveying people for emotions. And I wasn't sure if you were just trying to pitch my product back at me because that's that's basically half of what we do. And the other half is matching that data with quantitative data. <laughs> well, it's it's always better to know that I was accidentally buttering yeah, you up. Yeah, yes. yeah, there you go. <laughs> You could have claimed, would, uh, you know, some some uh, uh, cred by saying that you've looked into it so much. Anyways, no, no, I get cred by saying that this. I just happened to hit on the same ideas that you've. That you, yeah, you're, it's, you're just it's ahead funny, of me. you know. Even when we were talking the first time around, when you were interviewing me, um, I felt like we were kind of aggressively agreeing on everything. So uh, yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, the, the, look, I mean, this is the thing that, and and again, I understand that people who are come from a business background and have people who are from a business background and who are used to quantitative analysis because business is monetary may feel like they need to deliver something on a spreadsheet. And so they're going to be, they're going to be looking for for something to justify the existence of the project and to show that it's success numerically because numbers look so authoritative Mm. and the, then the fact is, we all know that some of those numbers from that you get from the web are kind of fake. <laughs> um, more and more uh, things uh, are fake nowadays, and, and, including the numbers. Sometimes uh, even the people, you know, yeah, they're actually bots. Yeah, so some <laughs> of that. Well, yeah, and but also, you know, look at our. We have uh, one of my colleagues is sort of our specialist in distribution and metrics and all that stuff, and and. I was talking to her about this as we as I was doing it, and she said, "You know, we we look at the Google Analytics mm-hmm. numbers for our posts, and we also look at the 
WordPress numbers for our posts, mm -hmm. and they're often radically different. Oh, totally. Because so, there's also different methodologies for measuring methodologies. the same stuff. And, and, you know, I know that there's a suspicion in the business world that, I mean, look, the reason that Nielsen does the ratings is because nobody would trust ABC, CBS, and NBC to, to self-report. Yeah. You know, oh, you tell us how you tell us how much viewership you have, which in turn will tell us how much we have to pay you. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. And then, by the way, once we've run the campaign, how about you also measure yourself and tell us how great of a job you did so yes. we can keep spending money with you? So even if those numbers aren't fake, they're... Massaged? They're, they may not be massaged. <laughs> no, they I'm may joking, be I'm joking. They may be completely honest, but they're from an interested party. Right? Totally, yeah. They're not neutral. I mean, they're the need a for a third source. party for a Switzerland here is just an imperative need. Yeah, and so that doesn't exist. I well, mean, it, it, it's it starting to exist. Again, you're pitching the company back at me. Yes. So We don't so, monetize for media companies precisely because I believe super strongly that we are supposed to be independent. Otherwise, why would anyone trust us? Well, th and this, this is why people were coming to me. And I would say you're not the only company that people mentioned uh, as who fine. doing a good job. There needs but, to be a market here. Yes. Not just us. But that the reason that people came to me, you know, were saying to me, you should look at Notch, they're doing interesting work, is because you are trying to address these holes mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and these sort of, these flaws in the system. Right. And those have to be addressed. They have to be addressed. Or the, you know, th this is a real threat to the growth of the space. I totally I mean, you, agree. Um, because, you know, you asked me how I feel about it. You, I never did tell you how I feel about it as a content creator. Mm -hmm. now, as a content creator, it sort of returns to old, old ways that content got made, going back to the Medici's being patrons of the arts in, ancient, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in Renaissance Rome. Wow, I've never had anyone or, take it back to the Medici's. Or, Let's you go. know, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, you know, the, 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 the patrons who, uh, who took care of Shakespeare's company and the Globe mm -hmm, Theater, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that goes back farther. Uh, you know, I know that there were endorsement ads from Roman gladiators. <laughs> Um, that's true. <laughs> no, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. No, they, 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 totally. they, they've been found. I mean, totally. it's like, essentially, it's but like, so you're well, saying Shakespeare was branded content. Um, you know, let's I'm gonna just say that. that Shakespeare tended to be kind to the, to the aristocratic to the families and, di and, and the <laughs> dynasty that, that was, <laughs> that could shut him down. At the <laughs> um, you know, it, he was a company man in his own way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, and also, you more recently, you know, the early days of television was Texaco Theater, mm -hmm. you know, and um, uh, there were some of the, um, Omnibus, I believe, was spo was sponsored by Reynolds Aluminum, Reynolds mm, Alum Aluminium, you know, that in the early days of television, these shows had a sponsor. They were presented by, right? And... Sometimes the sponsor was just an underwriter and they had no control over the content. Sometimes they, hmm. you know, they had branding. I mean, you know, it seems to me that Milton Berle would, would do Texaco spots on the show, you know, would do Texaco sketches. I mean, th this stuff was worked in. So there is precedent for this idea that people who have money give that money to people who make stuff, to make art and artisanship. Uh, to create something that suits their own agenda and, you know, brings, uh, brings pleasure to people, okay? 
So this is not a new concept. So as a content creator, I'm like, hot damn, let's do more of that. I mean, it gives me a chance to go be a director again, you know? Um, However, again, this, they're not the Medici's. They're corporations, many of them public traded who have accounting structures and shareholders that they're accountable to. And it's money, money, money. And they don't get to say, I'm happy to give my funding to you just because of the beauty of what you've done. You know, I think that's rare. I think I think it does exist. But I mean, not to go too far down the hole of history. But I do think that maybe the currency back in the day with the Medici's and Queen Elizabeth was a little bit different. Maybe it was about, you know, asking for a painter to make you look less fat. Or make you well, look more powerful or make you look prestige, healthier. Prestige, yeah. Prestige, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're getting a form of compensation for that. And that form of compensation may no longer be, we may no longer recognize it. But, you know, the Koch yeah. brothers did a lot of philanthropy too. You know, that, yeah. um, uh, and they got their names on things. Well, so I they, think got, they got fame out of it. I, th- and they I got do promotion. think that these companies do philanthropy. And sometimes maybe they'll be patron of the arts for philanthropic reasons. But, I agree with you that branded content isn't that. No, they're not really being patrons of the arts. Because the, 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 the patrons of the art, when they're being patrons of the arts, they're not really expecting a concrete, re- identifiable return. Right. That's a softer thing. Yeah. Uh, this, they do want a concrete, identifiable totally. return. Totally, yeah. And it, that is, uh, I, I am, because I come from an arts background, I'm empathetic, you know, <laughs> with that. And it's like, I, I feel their pain. Because often I look at something and we can, we can make something and I feel like that, that came out really great. Uh, we can show numbers of how many people viewed it. Sometimes we can, and sometimes you can show a very concrete or seem to show a very concrete result. We did a, an advertorial piece for the, in support of the movie Green Book. Mm-hmm. And it ran on the day that final Oscar voting started. And final mm-hmm. Oscar voting only runs for a week. So this was basically in front of people. This was the current issue of Variety for the whole week that the voting was going on. That's cool. And then, do all movies do that, by the way? Because no, that's that was idea. unusual. We did. We haven't. I think it's we, a really it's, good it's idea. It's catching on, but it, this is one of the things that we do. And by the way, so that's that ran on a Tuesday, and then the next issue came out a week from Tuesday, and then the following Sunday was the Oscars, and it won the and the and won Best Picture. I know. So we say we won the Best Picture. <laughs> And we, so that's our story and we're sticking to it. It wasn't at all about the movie or the actors or anything. It was really Who? just. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, but listen, there's an, there's an old, here's a, a real agent joke. This is an, a joke that agents tell. I'll tell you this joke. Yeah, it's okay. Tell I, me. I can tell it. It's clean. Okay, Not good. all the agent jokes are clean. So um, the, the young agent takes the old, uh, the old agent takes the young agent out to lunch to explain him the business. And they talk for hours and hours and hours over lunch. At the end of it, the young agent says, okay, I think I get it, but explain to me again, what do they do for their 90%? (laughs) So, you know, we are going to say, it's like, no, 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 yeah, yeah, they made a movie, but our advertorial won them the Oscar. (laughs) But, but, um, you know, that, that kind of return, we can point that and say, well, you we think we helped, right? Yeah. But but you can prove it. But you can't do that with a lot of products and I mean, 
how all, well, first of all, you don't know why people voted the way they did. You don't know how the voting was. Well, the voting is secret. It's never released ever totally. for the Oscars. But also you just like, you can't, you can't measure that. And for other products and other things, how often are you in a situation where 12 days after your content lands, you're going to get a yes or no on your objectives? That's so, true. You know, that's an unusual situation. But I will disagree with you because I do think you can measure it to some extent. There's no perfect measurement. I think this is what sometimes paralyzes people, that we expect that somehow we're going to be able to, you know, phone up one of the people voting or maybe all the people voting and say, have you seen this? And if so, how did it impact you? And get that data back in real time. And if we can't, then we cannot do measurement. But that's not true because nothing is perfect in this well, world. Also, the whole principle of, of a scientific survey is getting a good cross sample because you never can survey everybody. everybody. Totally. So I think you can do it, especially if a lot of that content is digital. I think you can create a lot of very solid proxies to get an idea of whether you've hit the right audience whether those people have consumed it, whether they felt more positive about the movie after consuming it. But is it perfect? By no means. You're saying the magic words because you're talking about feelings. And now you're speaking to me. Yeah, you totally. Know, that, that, it's all about the feelings. I yeah, mean, why are we making content if not for that? You know, for me as a storyteller, and I'll tell you, the, these principles apply to branded as much as anything else. Yeah. You get, you get into things like you're guiding attention. You know, you are, you're guiding the attention of the viewer or reader. You want the thing to have some pacing. You don't want people to get bored and wander off. You, you, want, you want it to build. You want it to be surprising. You know, the equivalent of twists. You know, you, want, you don't want to be able to know in the first minute of your content and already go, oh, I know the, uh, the rest yeah. of this is going to yeah, be. Yeah. You know, it, and you... And it has to sort of be continuously surprising because in this attention-challenged world, uh, people will click away or flip the page or whatever. Yeah. At, at the no, the same standards apply, and that's why I like what you're saying. You have to create feeling, engagement, and differentiation for any content, regardless of whether it's branded or not. And the same things that make content compelling when there's no product involved make it compelling when there is a product involved. And if it's compelling, people don't care if there's a product involved. As long as people are not feeling like they're watching a commercial, like they're, they will watch it if they like it, right? Yep. Uh, the moment they feel like it's turning into an ad, they start to get uninterested. Do you really think that that's, that's 100% true? Because I feel like I've watched commercials full knowing that they are commercials that I've enjoyed. Or am well, I weird? The, you, this is something I did mention in the white paper, that this is not a hard line. Right. There are classic commercials on YouTube that have hundreds of thousands totally, or millions yeah. of views. So that, by definition, is content that people have sought out to mm -hmm. view because they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the classic Alka-Seltzer commercials. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. <laughs> go look that up on YouTube. That's got a gazillion oh, seen views. It. <laughs> and then... Um, there's a there's another one. Uh, well, there's a, there's a few classic Al Alka Seltzer commercials My, uh, uh, that are, that, you, that people seek out. So and those are and though now here's the thing about that that commercial. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Or the other one, the other famous one is that's one spicy meatball. Do you know that? Do you know that commercial? Of course I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the thro that commercial was considered a failure. It is a classic commercial. It is a and now an acknowledged masterstroke of of advertising. 
It was considered a failure at the time because people thought it was a spaghetti sauce ad. They didn't connect it with the product. Mm -hmm. Today, that would be a slam dunk, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because people are engaged with it and they enjoy it. So, uh, yes, I mean, you're you're right that um, there's sort of like no hard line here, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And we all sat through commercials to get to the next act of our show. You know, so we tolerated them. Um, but I, you know, the thing is that now we've got to shift more and more toward the thing has to be has to be really made so that people are not aware of the of the promotional message. Uh, yeah, the, because maybe the, because yeah. if they feel like they're being sold to, they get bored. And and we have done content at the content studio where our, our clients insisted on brand integration and afterwards said, you know, the weakest part of the thing was our brand integration. Hmm. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we, we would have preferred to not do that, <laughs> but you insisted, you know, uh, because they're used to making commercials and they think it, yeah. and, and, no, some, I get it. and somebody at the company says, we've got to see the product. No, I get it. I get it. I, and I know how this goes. Cause I've been, I've been, meeting folks in this industry for the past three years. Do you think that essentially the content then would be strong in spite of the product placement, in spite of the brand mention? Because we just talked about well, how there some... doesn't have to be a brand mention. That's one of the things that's, that when it's really good, the, the human limit series that Coors Light did with Uproxx, I don't believe that there's a brand mention in the thing. And and that's been very successful. Uh, Honda, and, w- and when you say, by the way, sorry, let me just clarify. But when you say very successful, what do you mean? A lot of views. I, I, I can't speak to whether the company considers it a success. Other Got than it. That they've, okay. They've, they've done so multiple. you're saying from a content creator standpoint. From a content creator standpoint, the content is good. It's compelling. It's fun to watch. Lots of people have viewed it. Yep. Um, and so it's basically got it presented by Coors Light, at the, you know, uh, graphics at the beginning and end. So they have, it's almost like, it's like, again, the early days of television presented by. Yeah. Yep. um, There's also the uh, Uncharted series Mm -hmm. that Honda did. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there's branding in it, I I wasn't conscious of it. Uh, Now, then you get to one where the branding is in there, but it's lighter, Mm -hmm. rolling with the rookies that Hyundai, Hyundai did. And if you look at that series. Apparently it says, it's, it's, um pronounced Hyundai. Hyundai. Like Sunday. So if you look at those things, which are about college players who are about to be drafted into the NFL, I think they've done it for several mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. And I looked at some of them this year and and my first reaction is, oh, there's no branding at all. And then I looked at it again. And it's like, oh, but he's driving a Hyundai. Mm. And there's a shot from the front where you see the logo on the grill. Right, right. And then you cut to another shot inside the car and you can see the logo on the steering wheel. Right. So, so it's th- there is branding done. in there, right? But it's subtle, and you realize these are all choices, right? They're all deliberate choices in how to tell the story because he could have been walking around that neighborhood instead of driving you around that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They chose to have him driving. They chose to put him in a Hyundai, and they chose to put to shoot the Hyundai in such a way that you would see it. It's a Hyundai. Okay, so that's pretty good, you know. And you that doesn't take you out of the story, right? Yeah. 
No, it, so you know what's really funny is that one of our previous guests was the CMO of Hyundai. That's why I know how to pronounce Hyundai. All right. <laughs> so he's going to love the fact that you mentioned his content. And I did, and he, I was not paid to do this. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've, and they're not a client. But I'm just, I had to look around at that's a lot. Even, that's even more powerful. So. We were looking around at a lot of content to see stuff what we like. Yeah. We, have, we have meetings internally where we bring in stuff that we like. What did you think was good? Yeah. And this is one things that we brought in. And made the cut. That's awesome. So let me ask you one final question. As a content creator, as a storyteller, you've done this for a long time. What do you wish that brands understood that they currently don't understand when they came to you when they come to you for content? All right. I know it's radio, uh, so I shouldn't have a long pause, but so I'm just gonna hear <laughs> for a moment. Uh, you know, honestly, the thing that came into my head is that what I wish that brands understood better is that the reason they've come to us is that we are good storytellers. And if they were good storytellers, they wouldn't need <laughs> us, right? Now I'll say sometimes I think you're laughing. I think I do think that sometimes. No, I just appreciate the fact that you have a very healthy sense of ego. <laughs> I have I'm a little joking. ego, but it's also have a sense of like, what am I, I good healthy. at? What it's am good. I? What am I not good at? Yeah, right? yeah, totally. So what? But what am I? What are we good at as a team? You yeah. Know, what is Variety good at as an institution? We're storytellers, and that I wish that you that the brands would come to us. And with more trust and faith that we know how to do this. Now, the best relationships that we have with clients are where they're also, so where they can say, to, we'll come to them and say, here's a story we want to tell. And sometimes they'll say, look, no, 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 no. That's not the story we want to tell. We want to tell this story. And we go, oh, okay, we can tell that story. Got it, right? And that's fine. You know, the direction from the client you want is overall messaging. What's your campaign? What's your what are the what's the feeling you're trying to evoke? Top level stuff. But when you sort of get down to the details of execution, it's like I, I wish they would trust us more because that's what we're good at. And if you let us do what we do, we'll give you something really great. And, and the way we work is that they get lots and lots of reviews, but the more they micromanage. Uh, the more, the more painful I think the process gets for everybody, and um, and then I could get into more specific things which are very granular. Like we we had a client who we kept telling us things were approved, and then it was all finished and and ready to go to the printer, and they're like, "Oh, now I've got to take it up to chain to my executives." Mm. I'm like, "Wait, now you're going to show it to your executives?" <laughs> and sure enough, there were all kinds of changes at the last possible moment, which then becomes overages and. It's, it right. becomes an unpleasant. So process. being more aligned, essentially, on everything from scope and timeline and then mm -hmm. having a lot more trust, right? Like if you're going to have a relationship, then you need to learn from them about the business side of things and they need to learn from you about the storytelling. Well, you know, we have a small enough client list that some of them will start to wonder who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, in general, I would say that it's trust. It's, it's, it's trust in us. And the clients that have had the most successful 
projects with us, and I think have the most on most ongoing relationships with us, are the ones where we now understand what to trust in each other for. Mm. And sometimes those relationships start off kind of painful and awkward, but once everybody's done it for a while, they become very comfortable because they know what they can delegate to us and we know what we have to ask them. Right. We know before we start doing, before we have a shoot, we need the clarity on these things from you. And if we have that clarity, we'll give you back what you're looking for. And at the same time, then they're not going to be on the set saying, put the camera here, put that light there, and, you know, take that sound. In editing, they might say, take that sound bite out because it, it's off brand or it conflicts with something else in their messaging. But generally, they'll trust us to do it. And that, then it becomes a real pleasure. And then it's, collab- it's collaborative storytelling. And that's what we really love. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such an awesome, honest conversation, so I appreciate that. Oh, I must be in big trouble now. No. Oh, my God. No. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. That was my conversation with David Cohen, the senior producer at the Variety Content Studio. It's always interesting to get the perspective of a content creator who works across countless different brands, especially someone who has had such a wide range of experiences and creative endeavors before he even landed on making content. I think it just goes to show that there's no one single path to getting involved in the content space, as well as it emphasizes the importance of passionate human storytelling within content marketing and marketing in general. I hope you enjoyed hearing from someone who wasn't working at a brand, but was working in partnership with brands and their agencies. I think it brought a really important and refreshing perspective and context on the conversation that we're having here at Pros and Content. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share it if you did. And for any feedback that you have, please email me at anda at prosandcontent.co. I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to nominate other speakers for us to feature. And if you want to hear more amazing content about the pros and cons of making content or being a better storyteller in today's world, please head to prosandcontent.co for more episodes. The best thing you could do for us is to rate, review, and share the series so we can grow the community and the much-needed conversation around the purpose and importance of brand storytelling. See you next time on Pros and Content. 